Well, over the last weeks, we've been looking at chapter 2 throughout the confession. And chapter 2 is on uh, the God and the Holy Trinity is how it's often stated. Paragraph 1, we've looked at the attributes of God, and we just barely scratched the surface. Uh, Again, this, this chapter, countless books have been written on, and many more could be written on, and still barely scratched the surface. Paragraph 2, which we finished up last week, we saw that God is self-sufficient. He's independent. He's sovereign over everything. He has absolute knowledge of everything. He is set apart from it, but His creation is is dependent upon Him. And He has absolute claim upon His creation to be worshipped. We have to start with the attributes of God. And with those attributes of God, lay a foundation to then build upon that. And as I kind of stated just a moment ago, we're beginning paragraph 3 in which we look at the Trinity. How many of you would say, I feel like I have the Trinity well figured out in my mind? I mean, if we kind of grade ourselves on a scale... Often, this is a doctrine that we can say, Yeah, I know, but I got a lot to still learn. And I appreciated what Sam Waldron uh, wrote in his exposition of the confession. He says this The doctrine of the Trinity is and must forever be a divine mystery. But even though it is a mystery, even though there is, it has mystery to it, God has revealed Himself. And this is like one, one doctrine that which we don't just go to one verse and find it, yet we see throughout the whole of Scripture a doctrine that is built. And I'd say that those are the harder ones because it causes us to, to be saturated in the Word, to have accuracy, and to not be out of balance. Because if we just look at one place, we can just get focused in one area where we need to see the whole of Scripture giving us a proper balance of the understanding of a doctrine or specifically in our case the trinity and throughout history the church has sought to bring clarity to specific errors the nicene creed the athanasian creed were were written as kind of responses to heresies in the time and throughout history they have continued But even in those confessions, even in the confession, the Second London Baptist Confession, just because it's stated does not mean that there is still no mystery. That there is a sense in which it is difficult for us to understand. And I think John MacArthur hit it well when he said, No illustration can fully communicate the Trinity because the Trinity is God and always transcends the created order in essence, persons, and relationships. Just like in trying to fully understand the attributes of God, He transcends us. And in, those, I, in that same concept, in trying to understand the Trinity, is trying to understand God fully. And we're not able to. But again, that is not to neglect the fact that God has revealed Himself and has helped us to, to understand to an extent the doctrine of the Trinity. And I, I pray that as we, over the next few weeks, look at this, it, we're laying a foundation. Again, we can't do a, a, a full theological treatise 
on these. We could spend years just looking at the Trinity and all the different aspects. Um, there's some great books that have been written. Um, John Frame's Systematic Theology, I think, has four or five different chapters on just the Trinity. I mean, that's a book that's like 1,800 pages or some ridiculous uh, amount. Um, one book uh, that I think Joel had, had mentioned, I picked up, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by uh, Bruce Ware. And um, this is a little bit more uh, attainable than John Frame's big old systematic theology. And specifically, uh, Bruce Ware kind of lays a foundation of the Trinity, but I think does a great job of talking about how it's not just a heady doctrine, it's a practical doctrine. Uh, and, uh, and Joel will actually be teaching a little bit on that in a couple weeks. But to, to lay out maybe uh, five things and, um, from John Frame, he said, these are the five Trinitarian basics. And again, we have to come back to these five things. And these five things are kind of here throughout our confession. But to just kind of give them bullet point, number one, that God is one. Two, that God is three. Three, the three persons are each fully God. And we're going to see those three points tonight. And then number four, each of the persons is distinct from the others. And then number five, the three are related to one another eternally is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I apologize not having it on the screen behind me, but uh, the section we're going to be looking at tonight in the confession is the beginning of paragraph 3. And if you have notes, uh, maybe the big sheets, they have that, in which it states, in this divine and infinite being, so paragraph 3, in light of paragraph one in light of paragraph two what we've seen there in this divine and infinite being there are three subsistences the father the word or son and holy spirit of one substance power and eternity each having the whole divine essence yet the essence undivided this paragraph if you read the whole thing Um, like the attributes of God paragraph, it can start to just kind of get your mind going like, wow, there's a lot of information packed in there. But I I pray that as we kind of break this down, it helps us to understand the truths here. Again, number one, that God is one. That first of all, He is one in number. That there is only one God, as 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, but also Isaiah 43, 10. The Lord says, You are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. So we understand that God is one in number, but also, in kind of looking back to His attributes, we can see He's one in unity. Uh, In the we talked about the simplicity of God or the uniqueness of God, that He is set apart, that He is different, that He is the only one like Himself. In one way, Deuteronomy 6.4 says that, Hear, O Israel, that famous Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He is one in uh, number, one in unity, but also, as we see, just kind of pointed out here, one in essence, and that... Words are important because they carry 
meanings and we can get ourselves kind of uh, off base. And so it's helpful to kind of pick certain words and to understand what does it mean that God is one in essence. And when we think of essence, what do you think about? Okay. You're thinking of the smells. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else want to? What's that? Essential. Yeah. If you if something is essential, it's what? Necessary. It, it, it's kind of that root, or the, it's that foundation. Um, I, I think all of these are kind of those right around right right around those lines that he is one in essence that at the foundation level he is one he is one in being and cannot be divided in essence and and while we hold that truth we have to keep holding the truth that he is one in essence that at his core being he is in essence one but then we understand he is also three. His essence is not divided in three. And, and we have to be careful, again, putting illustrations on it. You can't say his foundation is one and then there's three little branches that go off uh, because then we've broken up God and we've done the, the heresy of partialism, uh, that he is part this and part this and part this, which makes up the whole. Um, I think it, back at... Uh, Around St. Patrick's Day, I sent out a little video uh, about St. Patrick's bad analogies. And uh, there's two uh, kind of uh, drawn figures, and they're talking to uh, this character uh, who is the picture of St. Patrick, and he's trying to explain the Trinity to them. And really, uh, when we talk about um, illustrations, illustrations are bad to teach us the doctrine of the Trinity. Illustrations are good to teach us how the heresies of the doctrine of the Trinity come to be. Where you have the three-leaf clover, they all make up the one clover. That's partialism. Each can be divided into one part or the other. Um, you have uh, the, uh, the sun, the light, and the heat. Uh, that would be a false view called Arianism, that, that the sun emanates from the Father. Uh, Arianism would be modern-day uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. That the Son is is not God the Father. He is uh, the Son literally come, who has come out of the Father. Um, and then um, how a man can also be uh, a father, a son, and a brother, I think. Which is modalism. That at one point in time, that one person in one sense is God, which is is this person and then this person or this person. Uh, God is one, and all three of those exist at one time. Um, the oneness Pentecostals would hold uh, kind of along the lines of modalism, that, that God does not exist in three and one, but he is one and then transforms to be this, transforms into a different mode to be this. And, and we'll, we'll hit on these heresies again, but it's important to see that anytime we try to put an illustration to things, it falls short. And uh, if you have an opportunity and you can find it back in your junk mail folder, uh, watch that video because it's helped me learn a lot about the heresies that we can quickly fall into. 
but God is one and yet he is three. Uh, this is not the new common core math that's trying to switch up numbers. Uh, it, it's trying to help us to understand, but to, under, to remind us this, that though he is one in essence, to bring about a distinction inside that essence doesn't mean that we're dividing him into three different. Do you hear that? Let me say it again. That distinction making distinctions of the three persons of the Godhead does not necessarily mean that we're dividing him to be three different gods. And this is where our mind starts to struggle because we don't quite have a category for that. We don't have a a little column in, in our math book that fits that because we're speaking outside of human understanding. The paragraph in the confession uses the phrase that there are three subsistences. How many of you have used that word in your vocabulary in the last month? It's not something we use very often. A synonym to that would be persons. That God is three persons. He is one in unity, but three persons. But the difficulty especially when I talk to my kids about the Trinity, is that, okay, we're talking about three different persons. And again, that term falls short, but it's helpful for us to understand that one God, three persons, or to help us avoid that, you could use the word hypostasis. How many of you use that? Again, speaking of persons, it's a challenge that God throughout the Old Testament in multiple places is there's plural nouns that are used. The word Elohim is actually plural. In several other places, but looking at those passages, we can't just go to that one passage and build a whole doctrine. Um, while those are wonderful, we look from the, the picture of the New Testament revelation, looking back and see the beauty of it. But we do see Trinitarian statements. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 uh, was actually at the top of uh, the, the hymn we sang this, uh, just a few minutes ago. It says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Probably one of the most well-known passages, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We see the, the Trinity in the picture of at Christ's baptism, the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, and the, the Spirit of God descending like a dove. We see these reminders that, that God is one yet three in persons but while all three are individual they are all three god without division that the father is god john 6:27 this is one of many passages do not labor for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the son of man will give you because god the father has set his seal on him. One of you younger kids, how does the Lord's Prayer begin? 
Yeah. Our Father, where? In heaven. So it helps us know that it's not our Father here on earth, but our Father in heaven. Uh, the, that title of Father is attributed to God. We see Him as God the Father. But we also see the second person of the Godhead being the Son is God. S-O-N. John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we understand just a few verses later that the Word was Christ. It's not just some random choice of words. After Christ's resurrection, um, Doubting Thomas asked, put, Lord, is this you? And Jesus says, put your hands here, put your hands here, put your fingers here. And Thomas answered in verse 28 of John 20, answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He's attributing deity to Christ. And does Christ rebuke him? No. Christ receives worship that was only attributed to God, and he does not rebuke. He does not rebuke Thomas. He does not rebuke uh, the the people on the triumphal entry. In Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God and Savior are kind of like attributes to Jesus Christ. It's not talking about two different persons. We see that the Father is God, the Son is God. Which I think sometimes we can we can go there. We can accept those two things. But sometimes we don't spend enough time thinking about the Spirit being God. The Spirit in Acts five three, Peter saying to Ananias, he says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back a piece of the, part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. We see the picture there of that the Spirit can be blasphemed, and only God, even by definition, can be blasphemed. The Spirit is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. All three are God. And as all three are God, all three are equal. We see their names in the the paragraph 3. And it says, uh, The Father, the, the Word, or Son, Holy Spirit, of one substance. That each are a person. That what we call personhood. What does it take for personhood? A mind, intellect, and will. We think of God the Father, okay, mind, intellect, will, okay, God the Son, God God the Spirit. How's that work? But think of this. The Spirit can be obeyed in Acts 10, 19, and 21, 19 and 21, um, when... uh, the Spirit leads Paul to a different direction on his missionary journey. The Holy Spirit can be resisted in Acts 7.51. The Holy Spirit can be lied to there in Acts 5.3, which we just saw. This Holy Spirit can be insulted, Hebrews 10.29. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. The Holy Spirit can be blasphemed, Mark 3.28-29. 
we see the picture of the personhood of the Holy Spirit uh, all throughout the scriptures. And each are equal, each having a personhood. They're all equal in power. God the Father is not more powerful than God the Son or, or vice versa. They're equal in power. They're also equal in eternity. We don't have time to spend too much on, time on this. But God the Son has always existed as God the Son. Now, there was a point in time as uh, Psalm 2, today I have begotten thee, we see. We see that Christ took on flesh. But in eternity past, before Christ came to earth, he still existed as God the Son. Though he didn't have flesh. Can you get your mind around that? I know we're throwing lots of things tonight. But God the Father has always existed. God the Son has always existed. And God the Spirit has always existed. I heard somebody kind of say, pose the the comment that when we say Father, Son, and Spirit, those are more anthropomorphisms. Another big word. An anthropomorphism is when we attribute a human characteristic to something that is inanimate or uh, or something that doesn't have a physical property. Does God the Father have a hand? Is he a chicken with wings or a bird with wings? No, those are anthropomorphisms. And even God the Father, Son, and Spirit are things that help us understand the the triunity of God. But even in doing so, when we say God the Son, and, and Christ uses that term of himself, so it's not a wrong term to use, it can lead us to Arianism to think that Father gave birth, not gave birth, but was the progenitor of a son. And it can lead us down those paths of error, and we have to keep reminding ourselves that that's not the case. The son has always existed. There wasn't a time which he emanated from the Father. The eternal sonship of Christ, the eternal um, spirithood of the Spirit, the eternal uh, fatherhood of the Father... But then lastly, they are all equal in divinity. All of them are God. Look back again, if you, if you have it, at the paragraph. In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences. What are those three? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Though they are three subsistences or three persons, they are of one, one substance, power, eternity, Yet, each having whole divine essence, and the essence is undivided. So, all throughout there, we're seeing this unity and diversity all in one package. Next week, we're going to look at at the diversity. I I looked up the Athanasian Creed, and it's a a longer creed, but they, they say this, speaking about, They go on, but kind of on our topic. He says that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. For there is one person of the Father, another the Son, 
and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Did you catch a lot of what we've been seeing tonight wrapped up in that? Not dividing the essence, the essence, the, the root of who God is. We're not mixing or confounding the persons. They're, they're distinct, as we'll see next week. Who are they? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're one, the glory equal, and the majesty co-eternal from all eternity past. Again, tonight we're laying a bit of a foundation. We're, we're dipping our toes into the water. And we're not going to be able to hit every topic but I want us to be reminded that the doctrine of the Trinity is not just, first of all, something that's unimportant. It's something that if we don't, if we're not careful about, we lead ourselves in error. And we lead ourselves away, really, as the Athanasian Creed says, if you don't confess it accurately, you're not of Christ. You're not saved. Because we need to understand who God is. And that is a, a spirit enablement. Does it mean we perfectly understand? No. And just because we can't fully understand doesn't mean we have an out to not try to understand greater. But we understand that we live in light of the Trinity in many ways. But two of them. One, we pray to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. Number two, we are chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, and converted or regenerated by the Spirit. The three have work in both our prayer life and our life of salvation. I see those as pretty practical things. But it allows us to not just um, fill our minds with truth, but understand, when I'm praying, am I considering those things? When we understand that the Holy Spirit gives us words to pray, gives us words even to speak, as we saw in Luke a while back, that we pray, we can come before, behold, excuse me, boldly before the throne of grace because of Christ's death. And we can pray to our Father who is in heaven. What a great reminder even tonight as we get to do that. As we get to pray. That we get to pray to the triune God. Who is a divine infinite being. With three subsistences. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Of one substance, power, and eternity. Each of those subsistences having the whole divine essence yet the essence undivided. Let's pray. Lord, it's a lot to, uh, even in a short amount of time, to dive into the truth of, of who you are, that you are the one triune God. Lord, I pray that as we seek to understand these truths, that you would give us a wisdom and understanding. Lord, your word says, if any of us lacks wisdom, you will give it. And Lord, that's for uh, wisdom in our life, but Lord, uh, wisdom as we seek to know and to understand you.
Lord, we ask that you would give us uh, aid and that you would strengthen our faith, that you would help um, you would help us to grow in our knowledge of you, that we would love you greater in light of the truth that we are re- that we are um, studying, that would not just be a, an intellectual uh, attempt to understand you better, but Lord, that you would bless us. Lord, we ask these things in Christ our Savior's name. Amen.